Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. Do not forget to buy lentils, or the lentil soup you're making for dinner will be sorely lacking. By the way, Mrs. Calloway says thanks for helping her bundle home and auto. She appreciates the extra savings, even though you kept using the word apropos incorrectly. But the main thing is do not forget to buy, uh, what was it? Something apropos, the lentil soup. Sorry, I'll call you back. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello there, everyone. We're locked in for episode 200 of Locked on Thunder, presented by the Norman Transcript. I'm your host, Fred Katz. Locked on Thunder is part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Head on to iTunes, search Locked on Thunder, subscribe to the podcast there, leave a review once you're on that page, and find us on audioboom.com. You can log on to normantranscript.com, check out my blog, Thunder Road. It's under the sports tab on the site. See all my Thunder coverage there. I'm just on Tuesdays and Thursdays now. If you check out Thunder Road, you can see... My player evaluation series, doing the wings this week, bigs next week, the guards the following week, so that's Monday through Friday every day. And then the podcast is just Tuesday, Thursdays now. I know I'm every day, every weekday during the season. Now I'm just Tuesdays, Thursdays because there's not as much. At some point uh, in a few weeks, I'm going to I'm gonna rev it back up to either three, four, or five days a week. I haven't decided which one yet, but I will be going on more as we approach the draft, as we approach the MVP and the award ceremony on June 26th, as we approach free agency. All that kind of stuff will be on a lot more. But for now, just Tuesday, Thursday, today, I'm going to be doing a player player evaluation series for the podcast too. Like how I said, I'm doing, you know, a player a day for my for my articles and that kind of stuff on the site. I'm going to be doing uh, I'm going to be doing it on the podcast too. So every Thursday, I'm going to be doing whatever the theme of the week that is. So uh, this week it's the wings. So today I'll be doing the wings. Next Thursday I'll do the bigs. The following Thursday I'll do the guards. But first, as you could probably tell from my enthusiasm and just if you speak English. It's episode 200, which is which is kind of cool. Been doing this for about a year now. Started a little bit less than a year ago. But 200 episodes, a lot of episodes. So celebrating 200 just a little bit. I got a, I know when I was when I was on with John Hamm, he mentioned something about, you know, having him on for 199. He wanted to be on 200. And uh, Andrew Schlecht, who just down to dunk, I had on for, I think it was episode 197. And he mentioned wanting to do something on 200. So Andrew actually recorded a message and sent me a message for episode 200. He told me not to listen to it, so I haven't listened to it. I'm going to run it right now. This is not live, so if it is profane, Andrew, I will be editing that part out. But I'm going to run it right now. So here is Andrew Schleck's, I, I guess, congratulatory message for 200. I don't know. We'll see what he did with this. So here we are, Fred. Episode 200. You made it. I wish I could say congratulations, but the truth of the matter is, this is just a round number. Why didn't you celebrate at episode 197 or 195? Why did you choose 200? Is it because you're a weak human and you like round numbers? Probably. Also, Fred, here's the deal. You had 2.3 uncontested podcasts per week. You allowed John Hamm and Royce Young to basically give you podcasts. They were just there for the taking, and you took them. 
And is that really a product of you? Is that a product of the system? I don't know. And what are the people of the Norman Transcript doing? Are they, I feel like you probably only did about 150 podcasts and they're just bumping up your stats. So, Fred, I wish I could say congratulations, but the truth is, this is not worth celebrating. This is only a round number, and uh, I, I just wish you the best. <laughs> well, that was less encouraging than I'd hoped. Uh, but honestly, that was probably the best way to do it. So thank you, thank you, Andrew, for uh, demeaning the significance of round numbers, just as we've been doing in Oklahoma City all year. Let's get to these player evaluations. Let's do it. Let's, we're, we're done with 200. 200's over. Now let's do, let's talk about the not arbitrary. Let's talk about the abstract. First up, Andre Robertson. So we'll go with the good. There's the defense. There's a perimeter defense. There's the fact that he was guarding every type of defender this year. Easily the most versatile defensive season of his career. If I had to guess, I think he's going to be second team all defense this year. It's hard for him to make it onto first team. He's listed as a forward on the ballot. It's just not going to happen. He knows it's not going to happen, I think. He was he was pretty disappointed. He was listed as only as a forward, not as a guard forward on the ballot, because that's going to be Kawhi Leonard and Draymond Green who get the two first team forward spots. I think he's got a great chance at second team now. I think he's got a really great chance at second team, and I think that's something that's going to happen for him. I mean, he can get first team at another point in his career. He's 25 years old and really came into his own this year. He guarded big forwards like LeBron and Carmelo and Kawhi and he guarded Isaiah Thomas, and he, he guarded Chris Paul. He guarded Clay Thompson. He guarded J.J. Redick, Nick Batum, like Kemba Walker, like a lot, a lot of these guys. Like he is, he's guarded a variety of different types of players, uh, and that's something that's tremendously valuable. The cutting and the screening in the playoffs is an interesting thing because now it's two years in a row where we've seen him become a more active screener, a more active cutter in the playoffs, whether it's ball screens, whether it's finding space when teams just decide not to guard him in seven-game series. That's really important because I think I think something that might be a goal for next year is because the bad is obviously the free throws and the three-pointers. And I think something that could be a goal for him for next year, something I work on in the offseason, is now he's going to try to improve his shot, obviously. That's something he needs to work on especially the free throws. I think the free throws are more detrimental than the threes, even though the threes are obviously a problem. I think something that he's going to end up doing is taking fewer threes, becoming more of a cutter, becoming more of a Tony Allen-ish type of offensive player where he just doesn't really do all that much that he isn't physically capable of doing. You know, if Andre Robertson doesn't take almost three three three-point attempts a game, the Thunder aren't last in three-point percentage in the league. It's not like they're good, but they're not last. If you eliminate those Robertson threes, and you can't just do that. You got to schematically find ways to still use him so that he's not a nothing. It's not like you want to keep him in the corner and then just have him not take those threes or anything. You need to space him differently. And that's something that they can schematically as a team work on in the offseason, something he can work on, recognizing when he can cut, when he should cut, when he should slash, when he can even handle the ball a little bit more as opposed to just catching and shooting every single time. I, I know that he had plans to hire a shooting coach this offseason. I don't know if he's done it yet. I don't know if it's something that's subject to change. Most players don't have personal shooting coaches. They just kind of work with guys within the organization. You know, they work with, you know, particular assistants. And, you know, he works with, he works with like Darko a lot. Uh, and there, there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of guys who just work with coaches inside the organization. But I know 
he was talking about, he was contemplating at some point hiring an outside shooting coach to work with over the summer. But I don't know if that's something he's going to end up or going through with or, or has actually ended up going through. He's a restricted free agent this summer. Asking around the league, I get the impression the market on him is something from 12 to $15 million a year. That's something I've talked about a lot on this podcast. I think he'll be something in that range. So we'll see what ends up actually happening with him. But if he gets 12 to $15 million a year, you know, it's, it's tough because there's about a third the amount of total cap space around the league this year as it was last summer. And that, that, that affects players' markets. You know, Andre Robertson, if he were last summer, would be getting a lot more money than he gets this summer if he was the same type of player, obviously. He's improved. He's a better player now. He had the best year of his career this year. But it's just going to be harder to make money this summer than people think, I think. Because they're, they're, last, last summer did not set a new precedent. It did not set the market. There, was, there were teams with more cap space, and teams wanted to spend it. Teams saw cap space, and they said, ooh, Evan Turner, $70 million. Ooh, Bismack Biombo, $72 million. Ooh, Solomon Hill, $48 million. I mean, that's, that's not going to happen without a cap spike. That's not going to happen in a, in a more normal NBA economic environment. So something to keep in mind with Robertson. But that being said, people around the league tell me 12 to 15. That's what I get. That's what I'm consistently getting. Some say as low as 11. But for the most part, consensus is like 12 to 15. He turned down 48 for four during the preseason. Can't remember if that was during the preseason or it was like the first. It was before the October 31st deadline. It was like right up against the deadline, turned down four for 48. So if he gets more than that, it was worth it. If he doesn't, I guess it wasn't. The Thunder can match on everything. I think the Thunder would like to bring him back in an ideal world, but they obviously have a price where, you know, they're not going to bring him back for whatever they, they tend to exceed. And, and they're going to be trying to stay under the luxury tax if they can. Where they're right now, according to the salary on the books for next year, they've got they're only $11 million away from the luxury tax, so that's something to keep an eye on, too. Next up, we'll go Doug McDermott. But before we move on to him, I just want to take a quick second to tell you guys about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show that you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or concerts. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I just used it the other day to look at tickets for... I was so excited to see that Paul McCartney is coming to Oklahoma City. I'm 100% going to that. I'm so pumped. That's going to be in July. So I was, I heard that, and I immediately called up SeatGeek on my phone and started looking at tickets so I could, I could get tickets to that, and I'm really excited to be going to that. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. And SeatGeek does all the work. You save the time and money. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, click add a promo code, enter the promo code LOTHUNDER, that's L-O, like locked on, and SeatGeek is going to give you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code LOTHUNDER today. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so next up, we got Doug McDermott. I, I don't understand the nickname 
McThunder buckets, by the way. McBuckets, sure, um, that's that's a thing. That's been a thing for why is he McThunder buckets all of a sudden? Don't understand that. Ridiculous name. Shooting, good. He can hit threes. Defense needs to be improved, obviously. On ball, he's he gets blown by. Off ball, he's he's probably struggles more. Gets lost a lot. Gets lost chasing guys off screens. He runs into screens and tends to die. He'll get back cut. There there are a lot of issues where where he just kind of gets lost off the ball and then scrambles. He tries. It's not like he doesn't try. He tries. He just gets lost. That's the issue with playing time. I think that's the number one concentration for him in the offseason. And he'll be a restricted free agent in 2018. So more likely than not, still on his rookie deal, the final year of his rookie deal next year, he's going to be around with the Thunder unless he's involved in some bigger deal or something like that. But for the most for the most part, he'll probably be on the Thunder next year. And that's got to be the goal, both from his end and from the organization's end, finding a way to get him playing time. Because one of the reasons the Thunder finished last in three-point percentage this year, it wasn't just because of personnel. It was because the way they played and the way they distributed minutes for their personnel. McDermott can shoot and can contribute. And we saw that in the playoffs. Same thing with Alex Sabrinas. But both those guys averaged under 20 minutes a game this year. I, I Look, all things being equal, Billy Donovan shows a propensity to go with defense over offense. He's always been like that. He probably all will, always will be like that. There's no right or wrong in this. Pretty much every coach has an offense or a defensive slant. Just the way coaches are, it's the way people are, and that's fine. There's no right or wrong. It's just a stylistic thing. But at the end of the year, the Thunder are in games three, four, five against Houston, and and Donovan decides they're back against the wall. They're down 2-0, and Donovan decides, okay, best way to win is play lineups with Abrinas and McDermott together. Play McDermott more. And those are kind of Billy Donovan's most honest moments. When the team is down, the team is losing backs against the wall. You know, game five, they're down 3-1. Or actually, it was, it was even earlier than that when he inactivated Samaje Kristen. But then game five, they're down 3-1, to one, and people are kind of wondering, why, haven't, why hasn't Victor Oladipo played point guard all year? Why hasn't he been a lead guard in the second unit at all, all year? And then Donovan puts him at lead guard in the second unit, but he hadn't done it all year. And he looked uncomfortable because it was something that he hadn't done all season. And it was kind of like a thing that we were, everyone was just kind of wondering throughout the year. Why is Old Depot not doing this? There, there are issues at backup point guard and Donovan kind of went to it. And that's something that they have to do with McDermott. They have to put him in a more consistent position to succeed. And I think they recognize that internally. And I'm not saying give him 28 minutes or give him 25 minutes or give him 22 minutes. I'm saying that put him in a consistent position to succeed. Because I think that's something that he needs. And I know Billy Donovan likes playing around with rotations. But he does it in, in weird ways sometimes. And I think with McDermott, he's a guy who needs to be out there. Because if McDermott plays, if Alex Sabrinas play, plays, those guys get minutes. This team is not last in three-point percentage. Russell Westbrook doesn't have quite as little space. When you've got McDermott and Sabrinas out there at the same time, yeah, you're going to have your defensive issues because those guys don't defend the ball. And Russell Westbrook obviously is a defensively flawed player. But look at the space that you're going to have on offense. Like That's going to be a good defensive, that's going to be a good offensive unit. Russell Westbrook's going to have space to operate in between. He's going to have shooters to kick to. If you play a, a a four who can shoot a little bit, or you play Stephen Adams at the five, all of a sudden, like you've got legitimate offensive weapons. You play Adams at the five, you can run spread, pick and roll, which is something they weren't quite able to do. They weren't really able to put the spread in the spread, pick and roll, and that's something that McDermott can do. Now McDermott needs to shore up his defense so that Billy Donovan can have some more defensive confidence in him. And that's something that I'm sure he'll be working on a lot over the offseason. But at the same time, I think the Thunder need to find ways 
to where they can feel comfortable playing Doug McDermott X amount of minutes at a consistent rate in the right lineups for him and the right lineups for the team so that he can actually be a contributor because he's too talented of a shooter on a team that's too desperate for shooting for him not to be able to get minutes. Uh, Next one, Kyle Singler. The thing that I wonder about Singler is how they're just going to handle him in the offseason, how they're going to handle his contract. Because he played 32 games this year. Obviously, a lot of those minutes were not meaningful. He's got three years, $15 million left on his deal. Only $9.7 million of that is guaranteed. You know, people talk about how he signed a five-year deal. That's a little misleading. It's technically correct. But the final year of his deal was non-guaranteed. It's like $5.something million that's non-guaranteed. So, so you can throw that out from a, from a money standpoint. It's really got two more years of guaranteed money left on the deal. Now, they could stretch him. Like I talked about with John Hamm on Tuesday's episode, they could stretch Singler. They could save about $3.3 million in cap room for next season if they stretch Kyle Singler, if they stretch his contract for next season. That would entail, so you'd have $9.7 million. These three years technically left on his deal, so it stretches over seven years because the formula is years times two plus one, years remaining on the contract times two plus one. So they could stretch that over seven years. would come to about $1.4 million a year that they would owe Kyle Singler. That, that his cap number would be. When you stretch a guy, it's not like the when they pay him. It's not like his checks come in differently. He still gets his money the same way. He's still going to get his almost $5 million this year and his almost $5 million next year. But the way the money is distributed on the cap is different. So he'd have a one, Singler would be a $1.5 million, $1.4 million cap hit next year and the following year and the following year. And that would go on for seven years. I wonder if they're going to stretch him because they're going up against the luxury tax. That's a good way to clear $3.3 million in cap room for this year, $3.6 million of cap room the following season. And $1.4 million is about 1% of the cap nowadays. It's not that much money. They've got the Ronnie Price dead money on there. You never want dead money. You never want dead money on your cap, but it's something that could help them right now. And I think it's a possibility. They could try to trade him. It's possible they could try to trade him. But I think he's in a situation right now where they'd have to give up something to unload him. And I don't know if they want to give up an asset in order to unload him. He could be part of a bigger deal, maybe. He could be part of a bigger deal, you know, just including salary, that kind of stuff. Maybe there's someone who can believe they can turn it around. Because Kyle Singler was good in Detroit. That's what's kind of crazy. Like, Kyle Singler was a, he was a legitimate contributor with the Pistons. He was a pretty good defensive player. And he made threes. And that just hasn't happened here. And uh, I, I, I wonder how the Thunder are going to handle that this offseason. There are a couple ways that they could end up doing it, or they could just hold on to him, I guess. But I, I, I do kind of think stretching seems like the most likely, but there, there are a lot of options. Uh, Jeremy Grant, next up. His defensive versatility got much better throughout the year, especially once Billy Donovan started playing him at the four later in the season. His, his shooting, obviously... Shot up like crazy, 37% from three between Oklahoma City and Philadelphia, which was just shocking. Now, if you look, dig deeper into the shooting numbers, almost every single shot that he took, he took like 113 threes this year. Like something like 108 of them were catch and shoot threes, which is fine. He does what he can do, and that's it. 94% of his three-point attempts were considered at least open. Somewhere between open and very open. 94% of them, that's NBA, That's according to NBA.com's uh, player tracking data. That means at least four feet of room. 94% of them. So Jeremy Grant is taking shots. 
that he knows he can take. I don't think he became a great shooter. I don't think he became a 37% shooter the same way Victor Oladipo became a 36% shooter because Victor Oladipo is taking tougher shots. But he's doing what he can do. Like, you know, it's like, like, like I talked about with Andre Robertson a few minutes ago. If Andre Robertson just does on offense the things that he can do, he'd be so much better of an offensive player. And I think Jeremy, that's one of the things that Jeremy Grant is pretty good at. Knowing what he does well, knowing what he doesn't do well, and just doing that. He could work on his dribbling a little bit this offseason. I know that's something that he plans on doing because he just darts at the rim with his head down and doesn't quite have moves. But he's so athletic that it works. And I, I think he's going to work on being more active off the ball offensively because I, I, I don't think the Thunder want to play him at the three anymore. They didn't really do that the last month and a half, two months of the season. They moved him to the four. They played him at the five against Houston in that playoff series. He's clearly a better backline pick-and-roll defender than he is guarding the front end of pick-and-rolls. He's clearly better at that, and you can also use his his versatility as more of an advantage when he's guarding the back line because then you can switch him onto ball handlers, and that's something that can that can really help you if you're able to do something like that. So that's kind of what the Thunder tried to do with him in uh, in the Houston series, and I think he did a pretty decent job. You don't want him guarding James Harden as your number one option, but if you have to switch on a pick and roll and he's on him, it's like okay. That's better than a lot of other options you could have guarding him at power forward because he's long, he's athletic, he tries hard on defense, moves his feet well. Like he's 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 gonna be a good defensive player, I think. I think that's and the Thunder certainly believe that. I'm intrigued to see what the team does with him. And this is another thing I talked about with John Ham a little bit on Tuesday, but he's got a team option next year, and I think the team is gonna pick it up. And the reason why I think the team is gonna pick it up is because it's super cheap. He's a second-round guy, so it's like a million and a half for next year. And like I've mentioned, they're going to, I think one of their priorities, one of their top priorities this offseason is going to be avoiding the luxury tax. If they can get a rotation guy on a million and a half a year, that's something they're going to want to do. That's something they're going to want to try. But something they could do, if they really like Jeremy Grant for the long term, they could decline the team option and make him into a free agent. Then he could be a restricted free agent this summer. So they at least have some sort of security. If he signs with another team, he gets an offer sheet with another team, they have the ability to match on that. If they pick up the team option and he's a free agent next summer, 2018 as opposed to 2017, that's after four years in the league, he's no longer a restricted free agent. They no longer have the right to match on an offer sheet. All of a sudden, he's an unrestricted free agent and he can sign with whomever he likes. And that's kind of the game that Thunder will be playing. And maybe he has a leap next year and he's even more expensive. Plus, he's unrestricted. So that's... That's something that's going to be a super interesting play for the Thunder this year from a financial perspective and from a front office strategy perspective. I'm very curious to see what they do. Educated guess, they pick up the team option, but it's going to be interesting. No question. Finally, two-time Locked On Thunder guest, Josh Eustis. You know, he's kind of a mystery. I'll be honest, I I went to three D-League games this year. I'm not there all the time. He looks good when he plays in the D-League. He shot 38% in the D-League. His rebounding numbers were good. Those are two things that tend to, you know, it's the same three-point line. If you're making him at 38% and they're using him in a similar way uh, to what they're using, you know, what they use him in in the NBA, which from what I hear and from what I watch, it seems like they they are, you know, that's something that seems like it could translate. And that's a big jump. He was 31% his first two years in the D-League. This year he was... He was 38, and that was something that he really worked on to pull up. But obviously the Thunder, whoever is making those decisions, doesn't necessarily believe it. He's played seven NBA games in his two years since signing his NBA contract. 
And it's just a weird situation. Because when he comes in, he looks like he can play, right? He's athletic. He's got to be one of the three or four best athletes on the team. Jeremy Grant, obviously Russell Westbrook. Then probably him. Like, he's he's probably one of the three best athletes in the team. He he blocks shots, he plays defense, and he's hitting threes. So it is a weird, it is a weird thing. But because they won't play him, and because they haven't given him a chance, I still think it's possible that he gets a chance next year. But that being said, the Thunder are in a situation where they have to make a decision on his future, just like anybody does with a rookie contract. They have to make a decision on his future every offseason, and they have to do it again this offseason. So the way it works is sometime before before the end of October, they're going to have to either pick up or decline his fourth-year option. Now, that's not for 2017-18. That's for 2018-19. But they have to decide before the end of October 2017 on whether they're picking up that 2018-19 option. And if they decline the fourth-year option, they could just release him right there. Because the thing is, if he comes out and he's good, then he just leaves. Then he just leaves. And if you think he's at all an NBA player, you're going to want to keep him around on a late first-round rookie contract for that salary in this environment. If you think there's any chance he could be an NBA player, you keep him around. So if if you're declining that, you're either saying that he's not an NBA player or he won't be an NBA player with this organization. And it makes sense to just release, similarly to what they did with Mitch McGarry, which was obviously a, you know, they had 16 guys and McGarry had all the off-court issues and all that stuff. But you see teams do that. You know, what happened with Solomon Hill is, is with the Pacers, is the prime example of why, right? They declined his option. He had a decent season. They couldn't trade him. The reason why you can't trade him is because you're only allowed to re-sign with the team you're on for up to what the option was worth. And if you have a good year, you're not going to resign for that little. And if you get traded, that rule still carries over. So no one's going to give up anything for him. No one's going to give up anything for anyone who a fourth-year option has declined on because that team won't be able to resign that guy. You're renting a, a guy whose option was just declined. So releasing is, is a possibility just based on strategy and logic. But I still think it's possible he gets a chance next year, even though he's, he's already 25 years old. I still think it's possible he gets a chance just because, like, wouldn't it be weird if he never got a chance? With, I, I, considering the situation the Thunder drafted him in, it would just be weird. It's already a weird situation that he's played seven games on a team when Billy Donovan plays everybody. And I just kind of think it would be so weird if they didn't pick up the fourth year and, uh, and then released him this offseason. It's totally possible. It might be the most likely situation. But it's just weird. It's a, it's a weird thing. Uh, you remember I'm on Tuesdays and Thursdays now, and you can head on to iTunes to subscribe to Locked on Thunder. Questions, comments, email LockedOnThunder at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. Log on to NormanTranscript.com for all your Thunder needs, and check out Thunder Road to follow team coverage and what's next for the Thunder there. That's going to do it for today. I'm going to be back on Tuesday. I'll have a guest on Tuesday. We'll be talking about, I don't know, Thunder stuff. We'll be doing fun stuff. Until then, Lock on Thunder is locking up.